Good morning. Open up your copy of the scripture to John chapter 12. If you didn't uh, bring physical copy of the Bible, just find one online. Would love for you to follow along. John chapter 12. And while you're turning there, um, this, this spring I went to Washington, D.C., total tourist thing. And while we were doing the tourist thing, we're on Pennsylvania Avenue, and we start hearing these sirens, and pretty soon here comes two uh, motorcycle, police motorcycles, followed by a couple of real police cars, sirens blaring, and then what seemed like infinity uh, black SUVs, dark tinted windows, obviously couldn't see inside, American flags hanging, and then two more police cars, followed by two more police motorcycles, and everybody stopped. Uh, the tourists stopped, the people who were working in D.C. stopped, because everybody is wondering the same thing. Who was in there? Um, and that is really what's happening in John chapter 12. Now, you're not going to believe me, but we're going to see it if you look down. Because what happened in the passage right before the one we're talking about, Christians have referred to for millennia as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and as he was doing that, everyone stopped. Uh, some people participated uh, because he was on a donkey, which he was using to establish, I am a king coming into the capital city. Uh, kings throughout the Old Testament, they uh, used donkeys. They had, some kings had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey before. So it wasn't just like, oh, what animal should I pick? I should pick a horse. There's no horses. I guess I'll settle for a donkey. He intentionally is saying, I am a king and I am coming into the capital city. Other people were participating with him. They took off their outer garments, their, their coats. They laid them on the ground. It was uh, their way of rolling out the red carpet. Other people went and got palm branches and they started waving them and they were singing these songs. Again, not just any songs, but songs that had come from their historic scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. So he is coming in as king. Now, if you had known Jesus and you been following him for a while, you knew exactly who that was. Just like those police officers knew, maybe some people who had lived in D.C. and they had seen this happen before, they knew who was in there. But I was a guest. I wasn't sure who was in that motorcade. And so we're going to meet some people here in John chapter 12. They weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from Israel. And they don't know who Jesus is, who he's claimed to be, and who he's been for the last three years. And so they're going to come and ask. So John chapter 12, look at it with me. We're going to start reading in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. 
Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Let's look back at verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So these are a couple of people that I was mentioning. They, they don't know what is happening. They're not from Israel. They're, they're Greeks. Now there were people who believed in the God of Israel at that time. They were known as God-fearers. At the time in the Greek uh, culture and the Greek empire, now has become the Roman Empire, they believed in a pantheon of gods and goddesses. But there were some, when they heard of the God of Israel, who claimed to be the God of all gods, they put their faith in that God. We actually meet two of these people, uh, one in Acts chapter 16 named Lydia. Uh, when the apostle Paul uh, comes into Philippi, he meets a group of people who are praying to the God of Israel, the God that we know and believe in uh, outside of the city. And he tells them about God's son, Jesus, and she becomes a believer of Jesus and in her home, became the very first church in Philippi. We also see this happening uh, earlier in Acts with an Ethiopian who has come to Jerusalem to worship God. And it's there that Philip the evangelist shares with him about Jesus. And he's the one, if you remember, who saw a, a pool of water or a pond and said, hey, I know we're supposed to be baptized. I want to be baptized right now. What's preventing you from baptizing me? So uh, these Greeks, they're of that number. They believe in the God of Israel, even though they are not Israelites. But they don't know about Jesus. And so they come to ask questions about Jesus. And look who they come to, verse 21. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So you can imagine... They have watched or they have heard about Jesus' triumphal entry. He's claiming to be king. They believe in God. Some people are saying that this is God's Messiah. Should we believe in him or not? We have some questions. And so they go to Philip. Now, why did they go to Philip? We don't know for sure. Philip was a Greek name. So maybe they heard that his name was Philip. They thought we're Greek. He has a Greek name. Maybe he'll have some sympathy and some empathy for us and take us to Jesus. It uh, could be that they heard that Philip was from Bethsaida, which of the towns in the Israel area, it had a lot of Greek influence. So again, maybe they thought that there'd be a connection there between us and him. But they go to Philip and look what Philip does. Nothing, right? <laughs> Philip essentially, I'm reading in the blanks, but I think it's an accurate reading. He goes to Andrew and says, is this okay? Should... Should I bring these people to Jesus? Because there is this phenomenon, and maybe you've experienced it yourself or seen it in someone else. The longer that we are around the things of faith, the less likely we are to invite those who are outside, inside. In fact, some of you may remember when you first became a follower of Jesus, this was like... This person has lived, died, resurrected, has promised to return. I now believe in that. Everybody's got to know this. But then you start coming to church and you get to know people and they're great. And then you start volunteering at church. You get to know even more people. You start going to a community group, you know, even more people. And we have all experienced that thing when your work friends and your other friends collide. It is super awkward. Yeah. 
even some of us, we have uh, Sunday lunch people. We go to lunch every Sunday, which is such a cool thing. But then I can't invite my neighbor to come because if they come to church, it's great. But then I don't want to be like, hey, you're not allowed to come to our Sunday lunch thing. You've got to come five Sundays in a row to get there. And, and so we just get happy with being on the inside. And I think that's what was happening to Philip. Is it, is it okay that, G, I mean, would Jesus want to talk to these people? He, he maybe thought of himself as a gatekeeper. Is this kind of person allowed different racial things? Will this person fit in? They're Greeks, we're Jewish people. We come from different cultures. Is that going to be a weird, maybe, maybe, right? But what does Andrew do? Andrew says, yeah, come on. And we want to be Andrews and not Phillips. Already in the Gospel of John on multiple occasions, we've seen Andrew bringing people to Jesus. And in fact, in just a few chapters, Jesus is going to commission all of the disciples, and therefore all of us, to be Andrews, to be bringing people to Jesus. Sometimes in church culture, you get to the inside by just, by just showing up and behaving. Like that's what gets you on the inside out of church. But you and I should never get so inside that we stop inviting people on the outside to come in. That is not godliness. Behavior and consistency is not godliness. Ephesians tells us what it is. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And God is always inviting those on the outside to come to the inside. And then look how Jesus responds. Verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So they've come to have a specific discussion with Jesus. They finally get in front of Jesus, and it seems as if he does not even acknowledge that they are there. I think we should adopt this kind of parenting. Our kids ask us a question. Verily, verily, I tell you. <laughs> Let me just get this off my chest, something that I've been wanting to tell you. He just totally ignores. It's, it's like it almost didn't happen. They bring these people to Jesus, and then Jesus just says whatever he wants. Right? Which is a helpful thing for some of us, because some of us are bitter that Christ is not responding to some very specific questions that we are asking him. Why this? Why that? How come more of, of this? And it could be that he wants to say something else to you right now. He has a more important answer, a, a better answer than your question. Your question is important that you would feel good that you would be able to ask it. Um, but he just may not care enough about that question to answer that question because it has a different answer for you. He wants to say something different to you. And so he just launches off into another teaching. And this isn't just meant for these Greeks. This 
has the sense that he's talking to Philip and Andrew as much as he's talking to these Greek people. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now remember, he's just come into Jerusalem as a king. They've laid their cloaks down. They've rolled out the red carpet for him. People have declared him as king. He has declared himself as king in unspoken terms. And so if you're thinking about that, and there is an hour right, where somebody who is not king is now going to become king, that hour is going to be a military strike. That is going to be a coup. That is going to be a hostile takeover. But that is not the hour that Jesus is talking about. What does he say? The hour has come for me to be king, yes, but I'm going to become king by dying. Like a kernel of wheat has to die and go into the ground so that more can be born. It is the opposite of the way that we would think about a kingly takeover. It produces many seeds. The Apostle Paul would go on to explain to us how this idea permeates our following Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Jesus has provided a model. You offer up yourself. By dying to self, you are now the kernel of wheat that goes into the ground and it produces many new blooms. And that, that's something we've got to ask ourselves is, is, are you producing any new life in the kingdom of Christ? Again, we don't just rate our godliness based on, am I behaving consistently? But is there life flowing out of me as I die to myself, as I Follow Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Remember how he tells his disciples, you take up your cross and follow me. You take up your dying to self. And what happens is then you produce more life. And now the life that I live in this body here and now, I don't live for myself, but I live for God. I live for Christ who gave himself up for me. Verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Anyone who loves his life. When Amanda and I met, we were doing a summer internship here in Houston. At the end of the summer, I had to go back to southwest Missouri, where I'm from, and was going to school. She stayed here in the Houston areas because that's where she was going to school. And so we had this great love that has now been divided by 12 hours, and uh, I wasn't gonna let something like that stop us from being together. And so about every other week for a year, I would uh, leave my university Wednesday after my last class, drive the long 12 hours, get to her apartment complex late at night, give her a filled with the spirit hug, and then go and stay with some guy friends of hers. Just wanna say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> an example for all of you young people to follow. Parents, amen. 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 And then we would spend the day uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, together. And then at Sunday night, about seven o'clock in the evening, I would get back in the car and drive through the middle of the night 
all the way back to my university just in time to get into the parking lot of my dorm room, go upstairs, uh, take a shower, maybe if I prayed about it, and then go to my eight o'clock class. And I did this about every other week for that entire school year. So I obviously made the dean's list. Uh, <laughs> great grades. But if you had been there Sunday evening in the parking lot of her apartment complex, sawing us say goodbye, you would be like, ugh. Yeah. I mean, that is just love, like gooey, like gross, like PDA, like just the whole, whole thing, which when you're on the inside of it, you're like, this is the best. But when you're on the outside of it, you're like, ugh, grow up, you know? Because we just, they're just the, the love, like you just got to hold on to one another for as long as possible before I would get back into the car. So when I hear Jesus say, if you love your life, you'll lose it. That's what I picture. That kind of, if you love your life so much that you're like, I can never let this thing go. Jesus says it's going to slip through your fingers. So let's, your car. At the time, I had a 1994 Eagle Talon. If you don't know what that is, just picture a sports car that every 16-year-old girl would like to drive. It's that one. <laughs> Google it right now. You'll be like, yeah, it was red. So when I think about that car, I'll be like, please take it from me. Please. But think about the car that you have now or you really want like that status SUV in your neighborhood. You finally got it. Your, your status truck. Status minivan, that doesn't seem like a thing. <laughs> Maybe it is, though. You know. Well, I mean, that, that's like, I don't want to. I don't want to give that. I want to give that up. Then we even get frustrated with God, even just even bringing up maybe the thought that maybe pot, potentially he would theoretically ask you for oh, your house. Right? I mean, some of us have lived in some dumps. Oh, please take that. But now the one that you have now, the one you finally worked hard enough to get into the right neighborhood with the right school and then even the right house inside that neighborhood. <sighs> I can't get out you love your life, you lose it. But if you hate your life, he says, and when he says hate your life, he doesn't mean hate yourself. He doesn't mean just be down on yourself. He means the opposite of that. I do not love this. Here, take it. When I was a kid, we did an annual garage sale in my neighborhood and my mom always participated and I like to be in the mix. And so one of my jobs as a kid that I remember is she would uh, decide the prices on the things and it was my job to put the little stickers on there because our garage sale was in our driveway, yes, but some of the garage sale, the high priced items, not on the road where they could be stolen, we needed that quarter, uh, but on the, the, the inside of the garage. And, you know, not everything in the garage was for sale. So that's why you had to have the stickers. So you could say to the people, this is for sale. That shovel is not for sale, but that rake is for sale. And it is $1. Right? And I think when Jesus says about hating your life, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, are you willing to, to put a for sale sticker on everything in your life? 
Or are there some things in which you would be like, oh, I don't think so. That's not for sale. That's mine. If you've ever sold a home, um, that when that sign goes in your front yard, you are living in a no man's land. Because in one sense, that home is still yours. You still live in it, but it's different. You live in it differently. Because the realtor came in and said, uh, shame on you for having that fan still in your house. You need to fix it. And we're going to have to update the countertops. And we're going to have to do this. And you're going to have to do this. Then you got to clean it. And then you got, or you got to shove everything in a closet uh, so that people can't see it. And then you got to be ready to get out of the house at a moment's notice when you get the text message, somebody wants to come over and look at the house. So it's still yours, but it's yours differently because it's for sale. And what I want to suggest to you today is that is the next step for most of us. For sale sign in every part of my life. Yes, my house, my car, but even invisible things. Um, the need to live in Houston, close to family, for sale. The uh, career acclaim and credit that I now have finally earned, no, that's for sale. Desire to be in this circle or that circle, the desire to be on inside of anything, no, I'll put a for sale sign in that front yard. Many of us have reached this place in our spiritual growth where we're just bumping into a lid. And we have just accepted that this is my commitment to Christ for the rest of my life. And it's fine. It's good. But if you ever feel a hunger for, no, I think that I can, I, I want a little bit more than that. It's not... Well, read your Bible a little bit more. It's not, if you'll pray an extra five minutes, that, that's not it. What you're hungry for is a for sale sign in every part of your life. And for some of us, until we are willing to do that, I hope that you are happy with your relationship with God through Christ, because this is probably it. But then you read insane stuff like Philippians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul says I would count anything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord when you have a garage sale that's what you're doing you're taking a loss on all of those items you don't make more than you spent you bought that rake for $20 and now you're selling it for a dollar it's loss you've counted it as loss you just want it out of your house and that's what happens when you and I are willing to say, I have this life and this life is a gift from God, but I want to live in it differently. I want to live as though I've already counted it, it lost. It, it's, it's fine. And what does Paul say happens when that happens? We know Christ in a way that you and I are not knowing him now. We know church. And it's fine. I think as churches go, I'm pretty happy with the one that we attend. But if this is all there is between now and when I die, I'm out of here. You're great. I think I'm great. We're great together. But you don't count everything as loss so that you can know church. 
you sell everything, literally or metaphorically, so you can get a little more of a taste of knowing the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus our Lord. So when he says, if you love your life, just look, what are you holding on to? What have you said, probably in an unspoken way, I will never let this go. You will have to pry this out of my cold, dead hands. And I think some of us should uh, get some 25 cent stickers. Just start slapping them on things. Otherwise, Jesus says it slips through the cracks in our hands. When if we're willing to hate our lives, to give our lives away, we'll keep it for eternal life. In the next page, there is an example of some people who are unwilling to do that. Verse 42, yet at, some, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. This is verse 42. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Here it is. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. My interpretation of that is that these leaders were unwilling to sell praise from people. And because of that, they got no praise from God. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Remember, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as king and kings have servants. So when he says, whoever serves me, that's what they're thinking. Uh, the queen of England is obviously royalty. Here's a list of some of the people who serve her. There's the Lord Chamberlain. There's the Vice Chamberlain. $100 to anybody who knows what that is. There's the Lord Steward, the Treasurer of the Household, the Comptroller of the Household. There's the Master of the Horse. Sounds awesome. <laughs> Private Secretary. Many, many Assistant Secretaries. There's the Press Secretary. There's the Keeper of the Privy Purse. The High Almoner. Uh, that uh, has to do with charity. Remember, they would give out alms to the poor. It's somebody's job to, to do that. And they're the high almoner, so those are high dollar amounts, I guess. Uh, there's the marshal of the diplomatic corps. There's the clerk of the closet, as all of us have, obviously. <laughs> the royal physician, royal surgeon. There's the gentleman usher of the black rod. It's a thing. Surveyor of the queen's pictures. I just imagine that's somebody's scrolling through her Instagram feed. <laughs> and then there's the royal everything, royal vet, royal poet, royal coroner, whatever you do for a living, just throw the name royal on it and she has one of those. The, the point is, is that if you're royalty, you have people who serve you and Jesus acknowledges this. I'm a king. I've just come into Jerusalem, the capital city. I'm going to be a different kind of king. It's not a military hour. I'm going to sacrifice myself, actually, like a, a grain of wheat goes into the ground. So many things can bloom. If you serve me, you must follow me. So if you want to be a servant of Jesus the king today, you, you follow him. You are a royal follower. Now, what's interesting is the people he's talking to here are going to believe that up until about nine o'clock 
on Thursday. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks Peter, James, and John to come follow him a little bit farther into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying. His soul is in anguish. And he says, pray with me. Follow me in prayer. And what do they do? They fall asleep. And then a mob is going to come and arrest him. And what do they do? They run. Then they're going to try him in the courts of some of their religious officials. And there's only one of the 12 disciples that is there with them, him. And then they put this cross on his back and ask him to carry it up Jerusalem and then down out of Jerusalem and then up another hill known as Golgotha. And you would think that if you were a servant of the king and they asked him to do that, after they just beaten him within an inch of his life, one of his followers, one of his royal followers would be like, here, I'll help you carry it. But they, they, they're none to be found. So they just have to reach into the crowd and grab a guy named Simon. It could be that God has an incredible purpose for you right now. To help him with something. But you're not there and I'm not there. Because I have loved too many things. And so he's just reaching into the crowd for somebody who's willing. And then when he, he died, there was just one of the 12 there. Some of his female disciples were there. They were, were faithful, but the 12, nowhere to be found. He says, if you want to be one of my royal servants, I just give you one job. You follow me where I am. There you will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now I think this is really important. Because if we are going to follow Christ to a place of sacrificial service. Where I'm no longer loving my life. But I'm willing to sell everything that I have. Both literally and metaphorically. That's, that's easy to say. It's hard to actually follow through. And so Jesus acknowledges that. My soul is troubled because my temporary interest, in his case, my life and the purpose of God have now come into conflict. And that is going to happen to you. At some point, God's will for your life as a follower of Christ is going to collide with your desire to have all of your temporary interests met. And think about your temporary interests. Whatever is not going to survive and be important after Christ returns. That's a temporary thing. So your house is temporary interest because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. So you're going to have to move uh, when you get there. So temporary interest. Right? And at some point, though, the, we like that house. It's important. We got to take care of it. It's going to collide. And it, it was colliding for Jesus. And so he says, my soul is troubled. This is hard. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And that's where so many of my prayers have been aimed. Oh, this is hard. That's following Christ and having a great life in 2019. It's hard to balance all those things. I'm exhausted from trying to hold these two things that do not fit together, together. And I'm praying, Father, save me from this hour. Don't make me do this. Don't make me follow through. 
Jesus says, no. It's for this hour that I came together. That hard thing in your life, that temporary interest that is preventing you from sacrificial obedience, you were made for this. The Spirit of God wells up inside of you to overcome that desire for creature comforts. No, don't save me from this hour. It's for this hour that I'm here. But then his cry to push him over the finish line, to really follow through. Father, glorify your name. And if, if we are going to choose the purpose of God over our temporary interest in sacrificial obedience to Jesus, we have to come to honor and reveal the worth and glory of God. It has to become greater. And our comfort has to become less, in the words of John the Baptist. Uh, last week, uh, one of our fellow Bayou City members, uh, Sandra, she, um, it, it, she's leaving to go and be a missionary in Southeast Asia. And so we prayed for her and commissioned her into that service last uh, Sunday at our Spring Branch Church. And as we were praying for her in those three services, you know, we invited all of her friends, family, people who have known her, um, our elders of our church, our staff of the church to come and pray on the stage for her. She's leaving this week uh, to move there. She's literally sold everything that she has and is going to do this because she cares about the people of uh, Southeast Asia, uh, that they would hear the gospel of Christ. And as we were praying for her, I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences, maybe it's at church and a worship experience or prayer time, maybe by yourself, where you just think about this, like when Moses is at the burning bush and God says out of the burning bush, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where it's like, I, I just, this is too, this is too holy for me to get close to. And as we were praying for Sandra, that's what I felt. Uh, who am I in all of my desire to live my best life now? to pray for her who has given up everything that she has for the glory of God. God, help me that I would not, like Uzzah in the Old Testament, reach out and touch something so holy that I would die. You only make that kind of sacrifice if you're able to pray the prayer of Jesus, Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So there is an opponent as Jesus is becoming king on this day. But it's not some other government. It's the prince of this world, which Jesus has already told us in the Gospels is Satan. And so there's this massive conflict. But how does he overcome? He doesn't overcome with might. He overcomes by sacrifice. Verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is becoming king. The king of an invisible kingdom and kings sit on thrones that are high and lifted up. When you walk into a throne room, you don't imagine that the love seat is more glorious than the throne. The throne is the tallest in every room 
that it is in. And Jesus says, when I am lifted up, when I am honored as king, then I'm going to draw all people to myself. So you can picture a coronation. Everybody comes to pledge loyalty and allegiance to the king or queen. But he's talking about his death. When I am nailed to that cross and they hoist it up in the air and they drop it into that hole. That is the moment that you will know that I am king of the whole earth. And I will draw all people. And think about what the cross symbolizes. People have been drawn to the symbol of the cross ever since. And maybe today you're feeling that drawing. Just inside. You may not even be a quote unquote feeler because you're wearing cowboy boots. So not allowed. But there's just something gnawing at your soul. And what that is, it's not the seven Shipley's donuts that you had on the way to church this morning. It is the king drawing you to his throne, which at this moment is a cross. Colossians chapter one says that he is transferring you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And if you are being drawn today and you have never said, okay, and I just encourage you to come and pledge your loyalty and allegiance to the king of the whole earth. Why don't you stand? I'm going to ask our prayer folks to come and take their places here in the front. If you're a guest with us this morning, we finish all of our gatherings by praying for one another. If you have never confessed Jesus as Lord, I want to encourage you to do that today. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you don't have to know all the, you don't have to be on the inside. Isn't that great? You don't got to come seven times and then be like, I guess I can be a Christian now. Are you just willing to say, I believe that Jesus is king? I don't even know all that that means, but I'll give him my allegiance today. If that's you, I want to encourage you to come forward and just say that out loud. We want to celebrate you. We've all been there. I remember when I confessed Jesus as Lord and King. It's the greatest day of my life. Changed everything. Um, if there has been a season of your life where you felt like your faith has been a little bit more on fire than it is now, but you want that to be rekindled a little bit, I want you to come and pray. God has never failed to answer that prayer for me. And then if you love somebody who is just going through it right now, just having a hard time, our king, he's got all the resources in the world. He can help them. And if you need help today, he can help you too. So Lord, we pray together. We bring you these needs. We bring you these prayers. We admit that we can't do these things for ourselves. We can't solve our own problems here. But thank God you, Jesus, have made a way for us to be heard. And so we bring these requests to you now. So answer us, answer us. Be near to us as we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So let's pray together and worship together. As God stirs your heart for something big or small, you don't hesitate to come. <laughs>